Welcome to the Culture Gooder Podcast with Stephen Leese and Sean Tinney. This podcast is a behind-the-shades look at creating and changing culture inside of Gooder Sunglasses. You can live with the status quo, you can challenge the status quo, or you can do what we do at Gooder and status the quo challenge. We have a very special guest with us today, my good friend, former colleague, and Harry Potter aficionado, Allie Meyerhart. Allie, how's it going? Hey, Stephen. How are you? Oh, um, wonderful. Thanks for being here. Always. Happy to be. Before we talk about uh, your organization, Breaking Silence, mm-hmm. give us a story about you growing up that led to the person you are today. Yeah. So when I first got these questions, I like had this existential crisis about this question. Where I was like, <laughs> do you want me to be like serious? Do you want me to be like lighthearted? Oh, my God, this question. Um, so I think the best story I can tell that just clues you in to me as a human, which I think is the point of this question yeah. here, is when I was little, I used to go to McDonald's play places a lot. And there was a really great one by our place in Arvada. And there would be people playing and doing their things. And I used to just sit at the top of the slide. And before someone would go down, I would say, hey, do you want to be my best friend today? And if they said yes, I would go down the slide with them. If they said no, I would say <laughs> okay. And I'd wait for the next little kid to come along to see if they would prefer to be my best friend for the day. And uh, I did this, you know, every week and I never got overly attached to rejection or to someone saying yes to being my best friend. It was a very long term or short term, I should say, relationship. But uh, that's a fun story about me. What uh, what does that tell you about? Uh, what does that tell us about you? Um, I mean, still this day, I will go up to strangers and ask them if they want to be my friend. Uh, so it's just me. I think I'm not afraid to invite people into space yeah. and I'm not afraid to give people my heart and my time and there's really no strings attached to it. Like you can be my friend for a day or for life. It, it's all valuable. It all matters. And I'm here for any of it. How many best friends do you think you've had in your life now? Oh, like so many. I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> hundreds. <laughs> yeah, just hundreds of best friends. It's, it's amazing. So it's <laughs> incredible. You used to be a flock leader here at Gooder. Yeah. And you left in 2021 to run your nonprofit Breaking Silence full time. Yeah. So tell us about Breaking Silence. Yeah. So Breaking Silence is an organization that focuses on creating safe spaces as a way to prevent or decrease the rates at which interpersonal violence impacts our communities. Um, Community can mean anything. We work with universities, with breweries, businesses, uh, government agencies. So in these spaces, we want to do trainings or provide contextual tools on how do we intervene before violence becomes a mainframe inside of culture. So we don't want... It to be, hey, I see someone acting violently or racist or in a discriminatory way. We want it to be, hey, someone said something and I corrected that immediately. Creating a safe space as opposed to a space that's breeding all of the negative sides that culture can sometimes have. Got it. And you you started this long before you started at Gooder. Uh, kind of give us the timeline of you starting this, coming to Gooder to today, just to kind of ground people in your journey. Sure. Uh, so actually, our 10-year anniversary is happening this year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, in May, uh, we will be an organization organization for 10 years. But So I started Breaking Silence when I was 23. Okay. And I was in the nonprofit sector at the time, but for education. And I had done the primary, like, training that we do for Breaking Silence is our exhibit. I did that when I was a student at Colorado State University. And I had kind of held on to this binder that I made afterwards of the success and what we did. And, you know, similar to my story about sitting on top of a slide asking someone to be my friend, I took my little binder into all of the different CEOs offices of this nonprofit I worked for. And I got one of them to say that they would help me start a nonprofit. So 
he liked the idea and he guided me along the way. And so ever since then, we've been in existence, sometimes a little bit heavier in the amount of programming we were doing, sometimes doing no programming. It depends on the year. It depends on how many other jobs I had, yeah. um, <laughs> which have been variant in yeah. uh, the 10 years of being an executive director and a bartender or a babysitter or both or all three at the same time. So, yeah. And yeah. you started, you started that in 2013. Yep. And then when did you come to LA? You started a Gooder in 2017? Correct. Yeah. Moved to LA in 2017, worked for Gooder at 2017. And yeah. And in that, I think one of my favorite parts about starting with Gooder so early on with you was we were in this very curious space. We were trying to figure things out and, you know, vernacular like AMP wasn't really there yet. No, we, none, we, of that, none of that was there yet. It was like, let's figure this out. Let's read these books and see what we like, what we don't like. Let's try it on a little bit. And you had always felt this passion, I think a little bit through me of breaking silence and wanting to focus on this purpose project side. And I was given the space to do a full-time job and be with you and do our exhibits and take a week to go to Colorado to work with the School of Mines or University of Colorado, whatever it might be. Um, so it was, it was sort of that first time where my career was intersecting with also running an organization. So. Yeah. And so you left 2021, start breaking silence or do breaking silence full time. Yep. And how has how has the past two years been, and and what are some things maybe you learned at Gooder in our culture that helped you in this journey? Yeah, so it's wonderful, obviously, to do your thing and to be fully present. There's a lot of power in just being present. Yeah, and I wouldn't say I really do much different. It's just when someone asks me at a restaurant, "What do I do for a living?" My answer isn't, "Well, I'm the head of sales at Gooder." My answer is, "I'm the executive director of Breaking Silence." Yeah. And until two years ago, I never led with what I, I never led with breaking silence. It was always my side gig. Yeah. Everything else was my primary. And so no one had the opportunity to be like, that's amazing. I think I know someone that you should meet. Yeah. And there's just power in saying the thing that you love and you're doing full time for people to be like, and here's this person that's super important for you to meet and this person. So it's just been about saying my truth and seeing where that takes me. That's the biggest change, yeah, honestly. Yeah, for sure. And well, that focus is, is really important. So important. And it's in it's top of mind all of the time, no matter where you are. We talk about our careers constantly. So I think just putting the passion that I had in the center as opposed to people, other people's passions, whether that's beer or sunglasses or whatever. So that's been a huge shift for us. What I took from Gooder, I think is what I was saying about being in 2017 was this curiosity side. How, when you're doing something that you feel is a little bit different outside of the box. How do you learn growth? And you learn it through being really curious. And we weren't super attached to anything. It was, we were attached to nothing. So therefore there was this whole world in front of us to kind of decide this works, this doesn't. How do we put it through the gooder lens? And I'm doing the same thing with breaking silence. How do I take these fun things in my life, but put it through that breaking silence lens? Yeah, uh, you're a, is a, a breaking silence you primarily. Yes. Volunteers whenever you have exhibits. Yep. How would you describe your culture? Um, well, as a culture of one, it's interesting. Yeah. To- <laughs> well, but culture is still culture, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, you know, our job is to kind of go into spaces and help culture. So I would say the most prevalent thing inside of us is it's not about judgment. It's just about figuring out what you want to be. 
it's helping people find their authenticity. And so we have to be really true to our authenticity, which is above everything else, we're always going to have hard conversations. We're always going to create safe space and we're always going to have empathy. Those three things have to live in everything that we do. Otherwise, when a brewery comes to me and says, hey, we're having issues with our customers being really aggressive towards staff. And my answer to them is, okay, well, what's going inside of your culture? That question has to feel safe and inviting, not attacking. Yeah. And if I'm not presenting correctly, if I'm coming from a really inauthentic and unkind place, it's going to sound unkind. So everything I say and do has to move in this way of kindness and empathy and inclusion, not judgment and fixing it. Because yeah. I'm not here to fix it. Ooh, say more about that. It's not me fixing anything. It's just me helping people see what they know is already the problem. Yeah. And it's giving them the permission to admit that you do have a problem because we all do. And often it's saying, hey, look, here are all the problems in the world. I deal with some of the hardest of them, sexual assault and domestic violence. And you want to create this safe space for people to come into. Let's just admit something's off if you're saying it's off because that's what you are. So whatever it is, it's fine. Let's just address it. Let's be honest and clear about it so that we can actually create solutions based off of a problem, not this imaginary thing that I'm going to tell you in two hours that you think I'm the expert of your culture because I'm not. You know, you said, you know, you you give permission, you don't fix it. Yeah. Do you also give like, you know, tools and language to help them fix it? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And but a lot of times that language comes from them. Yeah. It's like, what, how are you talking to each other? Everyone has... Uh, their own version of how you talk inside of language is a part of culture. Sure. So every company has a language or a vernacular that they use. And so it's also attaching yourself to like what feels fun, what's easy for us to attach ourselves to that helps you along the way and gives you a tool. So for example, in a restaurant industry, it's really, really high pace. You don't have time to correct. Like I can't give you feedback. I can't sit down and be like, listen, I need to take 20 minutes of your time to tell you what I didn't like about today. Because we've moved on. So it's more of creating a shorthand version of that that is safe and everyone's on the same page. So if it's like, hey, I need you to do the ketchup differently, instead of me maybe saying that, that sounds aggressive, it's like, hey, ketchup time, right? Whatever, we're creating shorthands. It's still calling attention to things need to change, but it's quick, it's easy, and it's kind. And those are just little tools that we give companies depending on what the needs are. So, you know, breaking silence, we work at other organizations, my my sense is anybody if, if you were to be able to hire 10 employees tomorrow right got funded you're hiring 10 people next year yeah. you know emotional intelligence would have to be really high for yes. hires what are, what are kind of like the three traits you would love you know three contracts you'd love people to have inside inside the breaking silence culture they would have to be they'd have to know themselves yeah So inside of our trainings, our biggest thing is people need to know the stories they're telling themselves. Again, you have to know what the problem is. I can't come and be like, this is your problem. Yeah. People need to know what they're coming to the table with. So there has to be a very large sense of self-awareness. I think humility, you have to be willing to kind of brush things off and just know like it's not about you. These is not about solving. This is not about you. This is about everyone else. And we're here to like give and invite people in. And then amazing communication skills. Um, I think being able, communication includes listening and talking. So can you sit in it with somebody? And can you talk people through things? Those are would be very important skill sets. Oh, for sure. Tell us about 
the first Breaking Silence Gooder collab in 2018. This was the first time we ever did a collab with a with a nonprofit. What was that like? I mean, it was very surreal. I think it was this wonderful challenge of how do we merge a nonprofit about helping survivors that have been impacted by sexual assault and a sunglass company who uses the word asshole in their language and vernacular <laughs> to the public. <laughs> and um, and making sure that we both were seen and felt inside of that collaboration. We called it Use Your Words, uh, which was the perfect kind of fit between its fun and cheeky, but it's also an example of what Breaking Silence is about, which is using your words, saying the things that you're seeing and feeling and doing. Um, and we created a really cool space for your audience, the gooder audience, to share their stories. We invited people in to tell us what they had experienced, and a lot of people did. And I think it was more powerful than we knew for it sure, was going to be. For me, it was, yeah. You know, like, it's a sunglass. What can we really expect? How can we really expect people to show up by just doing this collab? And it was amazing what it did and how it came to be. Yeah, I mean, I remember for all of our projects, you know, we have purpose and wild success. And I don't remember what the wild success was for this project, but... I think we achieved it and we didn't even know it when one of, you know, gooder customers, fans, uh, followers saw this drop and then publicly, uh, you know, broke their silence on Instagram talking about how they were victims of sexual assault and wanted to call awareness to them because they have two daughters and, you know, want w believe in this importance of talking. I mean, I remember like, how impactful that was and and like how emotional I was like, like, like reading that. And it was never even on my radar as a, as a result. What was that experience like for you? I mean, it's always incredible to me when survivors yeah. share their stories. And it's easy to forget the power of our story. And I, it's you know so embedded in us as an organization that giving people permission to share their story and how important their story is. And he became a really amazing example of how powerful sharing your story is. Yeah. The response that... He saw on Instagram with his own family for himself. Yeah, it's it it's both breaks your heart and gives you so much hope for what it means when we find that moment where we're ready to say the thing we've been holding on to for our whole life. Yeah, and I understand trying to keep something bottled up inside of you, what that does to your body and the release it is when it's finally no longer just yours to carry, and. We want everybody to feel that way and to know that just in the first collab we did that was felt instantly was just really powerful and incredible. Yeah. So that was that was year one and we've done one every year since. Mm -hmm. What is the continuation of this journey been like and, and how, how do we evolve it over the years? I mean, it's always different every year. Obviously, the name changes and... But the, I think the impact is the same. It's every year someone comes forward and shares their story or just talks about how when they go for a run and they have these sunglasses on, they're reminded of their own strength or their own perseverance or that they're not alone. There's so many different ways that they feel it. And moving forward, I think just bringing more awareness so that more people can be involved in Breaking Silence yeah. is kind of our goal. Um, we realized this year we've never named the sunglasses Breaking Silence. And That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, Maybe we should do that. Uh, you know, it's always been like kind of thinking of fun, cool names, and we just kind of forgot that that maybe should be one yeah. of them. Um, and so it's, it's yeah, it's just awareness, obviously. We want to build this community. We want to build a bunch of breakers. We want to teach people 
how in your life you can be involved in violence prevention without being an expert, without having to even be a hero. You don't have to be a hero to be involved in violence prevention. So I love the term breaker. I heard it recently. (laughs) Uh, How many people good or over the years have had breaking silence as their purpose project and volunteer, do you think? I mean, at our exhibit alone, we probably had 20 people do that last October when we were at University of Southern California. Yeah. But I mean, probably 30 to 40 people kind of in and out as they've moved through Gooder. So, yeah. yeah. It's cool. I, I just heard that term breaker. I was like, oh, is that, is that what, that's what we're calling? What's we're calling them? That's, yeah. that's the term. That's our term. Uh, speaking about your exhibit, what is, what is this experience like, your in-person exhibit? Well, you just went through it, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> speaking of October. So I think I'd love to hear it from you because I obviously, I've done this exhibit a lot, so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very powerful. The exhibit itself is you you walk through it, it's audio, and you hear three different stories of people who are victims of sexual assault, violence. How do you define it? Interpersonal violence. Interpersonal violence. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you are put in this it's i would call it immersive because you are surrounded by it so it's visual you are in exhibit so um it's tactical you're not necessarily touching things but it is it has a tactical feel to it and then you're hearing the voices of of people telling their real story and it is all ranges of emotion but powerful is the word that i would use to, to describe it yeah yeah and i what i love about the exhibit the most is i think it's personal for everybody that walks yeah. through like it's Yes, you might be in there with somebody else, but what they're hearing is different than what you're hearing because we all are coming to the table with different things. Yeah. Um, and so I never know how to tell people what it's going to be like yeah. because I don't know everything about people. And so I'm like, it just depends. It's going to be powerful. It's going to feel immersive. Like I can use these catchphrases, but what it is for people is truly theirs to feel and decide. Yeah, what is your, when you first designed it, Like, what was your hope? for for it yeah yeah the hope was that survivors i think it came a little bit from like an angry place yeah. if i'm being honest um i wanted to take the pressure off of survivors having to like reach across and be like steven it's okay you don't have to feel uncomfortable about my story yeah <laughs> um and to give that space in the exhibit where you're hearing survivor stories so in your real life when you hear someone share with you you know how to start with I believe you. You know how to show up for them differently than needing to be taken care of by them. Yeah. Um, That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of bring this teaching tool of like, okay, you've been exposed, so now in real life, go forward and do a little bit better. Um, I think it's evolved over the years. That's still obviously an element of it. We want to expose people and teach them how to show up for survivors. We also want survivors to not feel alone if you are a survivor to know that other people have been through this, to give them permission to share their stories sooner. The reason we're called breakers is because as an organization, we're not trying to end violence. We're never going to end violence. Yep. But we can break the cycles and we can decrease the age at which people start to share their story. Yeah. Right now, it's your 40s is the average age that someone actually shares their story. How do we make it 30 or eventually younger, right? Yeah. That's what we want. And so the exhibit kind of touches on all of those things and empathy development. And if you know that something's wrong, or if you see someone acting in a certain way in a party, what is consent? How do you intervene? A little bit of bystander intervention is in there. And then at the end, it's about connecting the students, if it's at a university, to the resources available on that campus, which are always amazing and plentiful, 
but students don't usually know they exist. Yeah. I remember, I mean, my one of my experiences going through it is there's three different stories, and my guess is this is a commonality where different people probably relate to different stories. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're arranged, and there's one. The, the first two were very powerful. Also, not in my my frame of reference, but the third one was like, you know, sexual assault about being drunk on a college campus. And I'm like, oh, I like I can like directly relate to this scenario. Was that was it by design to have the different ones to kind of put people in there? Yeah. So just over the years, knowing and hearing feedback of, okay, no one is really attaching to this three story lineup. Yeah. We need to do different things because we have a library of stories and we've tried different formations and this one is just kind of the best to start with because it does exactly that. It, it hits one of the stories hits you. Yeah. And because they're all very different and they're told by different people. And so you get attached to one of them no matter what. And I think I love that about the three stories that are in there usually. Yeah. How do what's the typical reaction to the exhibit? It ranges. It ranges. Um you know, we do have a person that committed a sex offense in the exhibit, a story, and um, that one typically pisses people off, usually makes people pretty mad. Some people do feel empathy for him, but there's a lot of empathy. There's a lot of people not really being able to talk. Uh, I think just it's very emotional, and we hear a lot, thank you for giving me a voice for where I'm, from where I'm ready yeah. to share that. That's really powerful, and it is a lot of people just sharing their story for the first time. I think just vulnerability, or also admitting that they've messed up in the sense that they did see something that was off at a party and they didn't do anything, Yeah, and the guilt that they're dealing with in that. Um, we want to be safe for all of those conversations to happen. What is the most challenging part about the exhibit, setting it up and running it? I think just making sure the space is just safe, and in, it invites you in. Um, when you're working with universities, you're usually in like this corner room that's a meeting space. So transforming that into these stories and making it feel inviting for students that just, you know, gave blood in that last week and are now walking through this exhibit is really challenging in the aesthetics and what we're doing from that standpoint. It also just takes a lot of manpower. Uh, I make the joke that I hate moving, yet I started a nonprofit where I move furniture <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so there's there's that. There's just the physical elements of moving sofas into yeah. a campus and building bookshelves and doing that. And of course, the emotional side. It's it's emotional to sit inside of this experience with people for four days straight, you know, eight hours a day. Do you have any uh, dates on the agenda for where our listeners could could experience it in 2023? We are going to be up north um, at the Cal State Maritime in the fall, so we don't know exactly the date on that yet. But, yes, there will be some coming to people in the California area. Got it. And you also have a podcast. Sure do. Tell, tell our listeners about it and how, can, how they can follow it. Yeah, so it's called the Breaking Silence Podcast, and you can get it anywhere you find your podcast. And it's such a fun thing because there's always sort of this like theme that happens in every season. So we're on season two. We do have our first season, which is a mixture of survivors, people that have recorded their stories for us and are kind of reflecting back on that experience um, to professionals in the field. So we talk about things like reporting to suicide, 
um, to just the healing journey for survivors in general. So that's kind of the theme and overview of our season last year. And then this year, it's a lot about the perseverance of finding your story because mm-hmm. a lot of the survivors that we're talking to this season are still feeling their stories and there's sort of this like guilt and shame around why does it still impact me 20 years later, yeah. 30 years later. So we're kind of just diving into that to get rid of that guilt and shame and just be like, you know, it's okay that you got triggered and had a panic attack the other day, you know, like that is honest and it's just true and it happens to us. And so I want to create that space for people to share that and kind of move through their shame. And I think it helps other people move through it too. That's cool. Uh, in 2023, 24, 25, kind of what's on the horizon for breaking silence? Like where are you going to uh, take this? So it's kind of new for us to start doing trainings outside of the university space. Yeah. And I want to continue to work with government agencies, with private businesses, with bars and breweries, and really create this community of breakers. I think that's our primary objective. And our guiding light this year is to disrupt. So disruption is a huge part of our game plan. And we want to make it very tangible and practical to be a part of violence prevention sort of making it accessible for people as opposed to feeling very outside of ourselves. Yeah. So that, the accessibility piece, the how can you, Stephen, today practice violence prevention is what we want to give people in the general audience. How much work do you do kind of when you're talking to businesses and corporations? What is the balance between grounding it and you know, it is a serious subject matter, but also it can be daunting and overwhelming. So I'm sure they're, you know, trying to like normalize the conversation. Yep. What is, what is that process look? How is that balance? It's such a difficult thing, I imagine. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, well, you have to make some sort of a joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a moment where the audience laughs, otherwise they'll just pass out. Um, so yeah, it's definitely... It, it's giving people permission that this is messy. And in mess means that I'm not always going to have the perfect words. I'm going to laugh. You can laugh. There has to be permission from me as the facilitator of sort of making mistakes or stumbling a little bit or just admitting to people like, hey, it's really scary talking to a bunch of government employees. I've never done this before. You all are very serious, right? Like it's, it's sort of calling attention to the things going on in the room. So people know, like I know this is hard. I'm not like, oh, wow, guys, like, welcome to Violence Prevention Day. (laughs) Um, It's not like a circus, but it is to provide a sense of levity so that we can have hard conversations. Um, You cannot have bad without good, and that has to happen in the training. We can't have this hard, honest, vulnerable conversation about the culture if we haven't kind of laughed about sort of how ridiculous and serious it is because it doesn't need to be that serious, right? So there has to be this balance to it. I mean, you know, you and I have traveled the world together and I've been at many a dinners with you where I'm watching you tell somebody your story and about breaking sides for the first time. And I know you and I've heard it and you're so chill about it. And I there's this awkwardness this that sets in and, and it's a really funny. I'm like, oh, Ali's a pro. Like she's in a she's going <laughs> to diffuse this. But there is always that moment of awkwardness. Uh, I'm sure you notice it, too. Right. Oh, my God. Yes. I think uh, <laughs> just so everyone knows, no one is sneaky. You yeah. know, if you if you feel awkward, the person across from you is like that person feels awkward. And it is just about either just being on the nose a little bit and just kind of be like, 
I know it feels weird. It's okay. Like we can we can just talk about it. if you have questions, you can ask me. Sometimes it's giving people permission to be curious. Um, if I can find a joke, I'll I'll land it in there and invite them in that way. I mean, when I was doing a training in the room, I was it was a bunch of government agency people that work with people that have committed sex offenses. And I was like, how many of you have been on an airplane and have someone's like, oh, what do you do for a living? And you're like, I'm a, I actually work for the airline. Uh, I'm a steward. I'm not. Yeah. So I'm a pilot. I'm an airplane pilot. Uh, <laughs> like, and you know, and everyone just like laughs because it's so true. You don't want to be like, I, you know, I help sex offenders through their treatment process. Yeah. Like, it's like, they're going to feel weird. You're going to feel weird. And obviously I want to create a world where we don't have to do that anymore, but it's just finding the commonality so that the person listening to this perceived hard thing knows that there's a little bit of light to it too. Yeah. Uh, well, you're doing you're doing great work, Kelly. Uh, Thanks. How would you describe uh, the relationship between Gooder and Breaking Silence right now? So we live in a corporate sponsorship yep. space. <laughs> we, were talking off, we were talking about off mic. I was like, well, it's a corporate sponsorship. I was like, cool, cool. <laughs> lame, but I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Write that down. Uh, so it just means that. Gooder is giving us the money for me to be there full time and to do and pay attention to all of these little things so that we can grow. And also, I think a huge other side of it is the human side. So we have people that are helping with marketing. We have people that are helping me with how do I build out a social media plan, which I'm just really bad at. Um, also, just show like if I have an idea, there's no one to bounce it off yeah. of. My dogs are great listeners, but they don't <laughs> give me great feedback. So just having an audience that can be like, that works, that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so the, the volunteers, the people piece is also really, really big inside of Gooder. And obviously our little sunglass collaboration. So a few things. And you give me the opportunity to come in and do some trainings or try on speeches or whatever I'm trying to work through. So yeah. that's out of it. Talk about the content. Because I think one thing that the amount of content that you have for a nonprofit, your size, is like really good content. Yeah. And it's something that, Mike and I have talked about recently about, man, how do we create more content for nonprofits? Because create photo shoots are expensive. Yep. But talk about maybe like how that has benefited you, just having really solid imagery for breaking silence. Yeah, I mean, it allows your it allows your information to be more accessible. Yeah, is really the thing. So when you have a website and you have no photos, yeah, all you can have are words. Yeah. So then you're like, wow, this website's just a bunch of words and it's chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's helpful to be like, okay, I have this photo that can be overlaid with just a short summary. And then if people are intrigued, they can reach out. It, you become more of this fluid, almost marketing company versus having to be a nonprofit with like a lot of words. And if you want to learn more, keep reading. Yeah. It's really overwhelming. And having imagery or logos, right? Like just having... We have a podcast logo that helps us stand out. It's more in line with what you need for a podcast versus our actual logo is great, but that's for other things. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that costs a lot of money yeah. usually. And it's just, it's also hard to get people that know you. And the beautiful thing about Gooder is you all have been working with us for so long. I don't have to give people direction really. Like Mike knows our aesthetic. Yeah. And if I'm like, I need this, he can just give that to me. It's easy for him and it's like perfect every time, right? Or AJ is usually AJ, the person yeah, yeah. that does it. Um, and he's amazing. And it's just also that connection piece. Whereas if I was working with a different agency every single time, they would give me something and I'd be like, that's not on brand, but you did it for me and you probably did it for free. So I'm not going to really give you feedback <laughs> and be like, this is terrible. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so there's all of that. There's the freedom to say, 
No, there's a freedom for it to change and there's enough content to make what what I want to achieve tangible. Yeah. Um, like no one wants a lookbook that's just all words. You need sure. photos and evidence of what you're doing. What does the exhibit look like? For the longest time, I didn't have photos of what the exhibit looked like. It was like, here's a picture of headphones. Does that help yeah. you? <laughs> like, it's just little things like that. It is another, a small thing that I'm sure has gone a long way that we actually, in the context of relation, we don't really talk about all that often, but it is hugely important. Yeah. It just also, when someone goes to our website, we feel legitimate. Yeah. So on that note, if somebody wants to donate, they want to have you come speak at uh, their organization, how do they uh, get involved with Breaking Silence? So our website, breakingsilence.org, is a great place to go. But also listen to the podcast or go and follow us on Instagram. Um, these are other ways to just kind of see what we're all about and the different things that we're doing and the partnerships that we have, which are also amazing. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this. Like, what's one you know status that you think uh, we need to challenge inside of corporate America, inside of companies? I think it's not being afraid to mess up. Yeah, there's a lot of feelings of we have to have the perfect culture. It has to be inclusive. It has to be fun. It has to be all these things, and it you can't be all those things all of the time. Yeah, and it has to be okay to be messy. It has to be okay to admit when you're wrong. It has to be okay to admit when you're doing well. And it has to be okay to admit failure. Those are all going to be a part. That's a part of the human existence. And corporations are full of people. So if you aren't willing to say that as a corporation, your employees are not ever going to say it. And that's where being toxic starts to bleed into your culture. Because if you fill it with silence and perfectionism, you will never have honesty and clarity. Well said, Allie. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Listeners, BreakingSilence.org, uh, Breaking Silence Podcast, uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, anywhere you get your podcast. Yep. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Culture Gooder Podcast. To submit questions for the podcast, learn more about our culture, and learn how you can status the quote challenge, head over to gooder.com slash culture. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you're listening, including on YouTube, where you can now watch all of our new episodes. Who knows, you might even catch a glimpse of Carl at our headquarters if he's not already passed out at the tiki bar from all the margaritas.